Hi, I'm with uh, my friend Christine Lai. Um, we're in Charlotte, Charlotte, <laughs> North Carolina, <laughs> North Carolina, and um, thought we'd have a, a conversation about um, a few things. And so the question I asked Christine just now was, um, well, maybe you should say who you are. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so my name is Christine Lai, and I am a person in the world who loves to connect people, ideas, opportunities to help make a collective future possible that hopefully serves more of us. And I feel very grateful to be geoflexible, which allows me to be in different rooms with different people in different locations at any given day. And so, yeah, I think that's a quick snapshot of who I am today. Yeah, and I thought Christine would be great to talk to because she's similar, she's not a scribe, but similar, um, similarly finds herself in a lot of really different contexts. And so I was just asking her about how, um, yeah, how you, how you hold all of the things that you're exposed to and mm -hmm. how do you sort of internalize that and process it and yeah. make sense of it. Yeah, and I think I was prefacing specifically knowing Sita and one of her gifts in the world as a scribe is I feel like the level of listening or the process of listening is a little bit different because someone described to me the you know, one of the ways to think about scribing is almost like your arm being an extension of the way that you process to be able to then visualize what needs to be made visual. And so it's almost like a different embodied experience. And so the level in which it is embedded in you, I think is a little bit different. Like I, I still, you know, cerebral, cerebrally, heart-wise and gut-wise, since we learned that new brain, um, I still, of course, absorb it, but I think it's just a little bit different. And I think over the past eight years, maybe, <clears throat> I, could, I could literally feel a shift in the way that I process information, receive information, digest information, and share information out. I think when I was younger and, you know, so when I was like quite young and through high school and through college, I was very processed, very like much more... I would say structured in the way that I would process information and everything would be linear and everything would have its place and all of that and something around 2012 when I kind of sector switched and uh, moved to DC for a fellowship I think something about my world view changed like my, my lens changed and I think in that process I like let go of a lot of things and I realized that there are a lot of things that I've been conditioned with through education, through my environment, through the people I hung out with, the rooms I was in, that really conditioned me in a certain way to like process information. And I almost like let all of those things go because they didn't feel right or they didn't feel as relevant anymore. And so I'd say particularly in the last three to five years, the way that I process information is potentially less about the content, even though I'm capturing the content through, you know, whether it be voice notes or written notes, but I actually just pay attention to the room. And I think that's what we talked about the last couple of days of like, mm -hmm. especially where you sat in the room, you were able to get a good view of people's body language, the way they were speaking, you know, like how they were like engaged or not with eye contact, whatever the case may be. And you can also sense that collectively with a whole group. And so I would say I think about those things more as part of my like inputs and 
yeah, I think there's just like different ways of like receiving the information. But I think I listen, I guess, more to the subtle cues of how people are feeling, even though we also kind of talked yesterday around like, especially my interest in like all of the immersive art and culture and technology stuff. Like the reason you said like maybe we're so pulled or drawn into that is because it makes us feel again. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of like jumping around, so I'll pause for a minute. So when you, so if, say for example, you're in a room and you notice or are tuned into the fact that there's a lot of attention in the room and there's sort of a high level of awareness mm-hmm. or people are really engaged, how does that cue you, do you make decisions differently or move in different ways after that? How mm-hmm. does that affect what you do next and mm-hmm. what you pay attention to next? Yeah, I think I really, for better or for worse, really let things emerge the way they will. I very rarely, unless I'm in a role where I'm specifically facilitating or holding space, will interject. I'll just let things play out. Like, I really trust that that's what's meant to help people process. And I think the thing that I do after is actually probably what is potentially most valuable in the sense that I think I've often described myself as, like, a backup brain or, like, this transfer of trust in rooms. Like, I... I'm oftentimes invited by the person who is hosting or by the person who is like the curator. And so as soon as something happens, if there's, you know, positive or negative shift, I like quickly like will reflect that in a way that allows us to then make best use of our next engagement together, whether that's like the next session or the next day or our next event. And so I I just let things unfold and then figure out how do we make, make our next best step. It's kind of like, how do we information gather as best as we possibly can in that moment and then use those information points to help us set us up for the next step. And I guess it's because I, I'm i very patient now. Like It's like everything is on a longer time horizon, so I don't have the same sense of urgency to like immediately react or like control and clamp down or do anything to like try to like even more so shake things up if they're already shaken up in a different way mm-hmm. and your your patience there comes where does that stem from a, a belief we were we've been spending the past couple of days talking about futurism and um and i we did an exercise yesterday that i learned from los Dunhoff and from the netherlands around this intersection of uh, your your outlook on the future is it bright or dark or you know positive or negative and then your personal agency mm-hmm. to make to affect change yep and you were on the, you know, high on the agency side, the yep. personal agency. And so how do, you, how do you weave together that patience and uh, emergence with your own agency? Yeah. Like, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think uh, one of the phrases that I use often is opt in. And so I joke like I've opted into the universe, but I've opted out of society. And the phrase opt, the O-P-T, stands for open, patient, trusting. And it's like being super open as to like what shows up, how it emerges, like what information presents itself, being super patient with yourself and the process and how groups are moving along or not moving along, and then trusting that everything's happening for a reason and it's happening for us, it's not happening to us. And I think in that process, especially in that framework of agency and optimism, I've come to a realization like, all I can really do is do what I can do to hopefully model that for what others can have the option to do if they so choose. 
And so the reason I have so much patience is because people need time. You know, there's so many things that as adults or even as children, we're just so conditioned with. And the moment that we start seeing things, we start realizing it. The moment we start realizing it, we're like, oh, okay, maybe we can have some time to reflect on if and how that's showing up in our lives. And then how might I be then affecting other people? And what can I do then to move forward? Mm-hmm. And all of that just takes so much time. And so to continually know that you will trust your gut and do what you know to be true to you, to then hopefully model that for others who will also then get to a place where they are also acting in a place where they are being true to themselves. Hopefully that's also in service of the collective whole because there's no way that one individual is going to change. I mean, yes, there are instances of radical change, positive or negative, by an individual. And the way that all of the things that we talk about are so interconnected and complex, we just have to have a lot of patience and trust in each other. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that we have patience and trust is by practicing patience and trust. Mm-hmm. So given that you, I, I, I know how you move and sort of follow what emerges, and I'm curious, are you, do you feel any, like those skills of patience and trust are super important. Obviously, in developing, you need to, to develop that. And there are a lot of different places to develop that in the workforce. Or, but I'm curious if you feel, is there sort of a, a, a inner tug in one direction that, um, you know, maybe you're not even consciously aware of around where that is most needed at this moment? Mm. When you say that, Like yeah. in education, in uh, like, uh, yes, you yes. know, mm. preschool or in right. the workforce right. or... I mean, I guess... The way that I think about it is, how is the right analogy? Maybe I won't use it. Um, It's kind of like if this is in my awareness, I trust that it's an idea that's floating out there for many of us to pick Mm -hmm. up on. And so I trust that many of us kind of have this now in our awareness and hopefully then we can start embodying it and then living it. And so I guess like I don't, necessarily operate in one industry or one sector or one location I think for better or for worse um, because I trust that there are other individuals like myself in those mm-hmm. sectors and I feel very grateful to have that trust extended whether I know them or not but I just have that sense of togetherness that it's not just within me but I know like if it's within me there's got to be other people that it's also mm-hmm. within and so I think that gives me a huge amount of trust because I like believe in the us and I believe in the we and I believe in the community, I believe in the collective. And so I think that's also a reason why I prioritize geoflexibility as much as possible because the in-person time is, there's so many things that transfer mm-hmm. beyond a phone call or an email or a Zoom call even. And my ability to show up in person it just feels like I'm just so much more connected, whether, you know, like it's kind of like the mycelium of like the ecosystem to just trust that. Yeah. Even though I may not see it, but I can feel it. Yeah. Kelvin and I were just talking about that on our last conversation about, because we travel a lot for work and she was mentioning this, um, this sort of last year feeling really called to go other, to, 
to be in person with people yes. and seed some things yes. or um, and then this year I think give, we talked a little bit about the the bushfires and sort of mm-hmm. the climate situation mm-hmm. and travel and mm-hmm. this um, yeah. and I you know some people in our in, we had a conversation with Richard Bartlett a, a oh, while yeah. back about oh. um, and said oh please come to the U.S. and do something <laughs> and he said that they're they're really committed to not traveling at all yep and I'm curious what your thoughts are about travel yeah. and oh, yes, because totally. because that is so important. I mean, we all know that that in-person piece is so deeply important, mm-hmm. and it you learn so much, and it, I feel like it accelerates so many things. Absolutely, and and yep, and the global footprint and all of that. Um, again, it goes back to like the trusting. Like if you have the energy, and it feels right to do it, do it. Yeah, and if it doesn't, like in the case of Rich, like don't. And you can articulate it, and there's no judgment. And it's always, like, the whole, like, you know, do you and do what your future self will thank you for, and do mm-hmm. you and do what you feel is true. And so it's all kind of, like, ebbs and flows, right? There are times when I'm sure Rich traveled a lot, and there are times when I sometimes stay rooted. And so, you know, we can all be very mindful of it and hopefully figure out other ways to, like, be more mindful of our global footprint when we travel. And they're just, you know, try your best. Mm-hmm. Try your best and I think talk about it when it feels super challenging so that maybe then other ideas can emerge as to what travel might look like in a way that is more integrated with the earth and different things like that. But I think if, if we dwelled on it too much, then we kind of stall. And if we stall, then what good are we doing? Yeah. So I'm curious, you just mentioned your future self. And... um. When you think about your future self, what do you, what do you see, mm. or what are the the multiple futures of yourself? Yeah, mm. it's so interesting because I think one of the things that we were fortunate to have a conversation about the past couple of days is like, what is a futurist? And one of the things as folks were sharing, I was like, well, maybe the futurist is a person who's most present now, but who's also has their eye on the future, and. It's funny because I don't think about the future as much, even though I, it's very top of mind in my awareness. Because nothing's ever promised to us. And Mother Earth is ultimately in power and could literally wipe us out tomorrow. And so I think when I think about the future, my future self, it's interesting because this might be a little bit uh, hypocritical in the sense that I really didn't think about that in a little bit of a shorter time horizon of like, what are the things that are going to help me tomorrow or the next week or the next year and I used to plan a lot longer when I was younger like when I was in fourth grade I was planning for 2020 right and um yeah so I mean when I think about my future self it's maybe even this can be a little universally but um I think we talked about this maybe like I always talk about and I'm using my hands so you can't see me on (laughs) on this audio but I say like we're living this life of this life. Mm-hmm. And so I give a lot of appreciation and gratitude to my previous lives. I've done a lot of hard work to pass the baton to me to live this life. And whatever I'm meant to do in this life, build community, have a family, X, whatever. I'm all I'm doing is setting my next life up for success. And so I think about my future self in that regard. So if like, I think a lot of people, I'll just say I've observed or I've heard a lot of people talk about like what their legacy is in the world and it feels like it's just on them in this lifetime mm. but it's multiple lifetimes it's very long and so 
when I think about my future self, I almost think about what is the work that I need to be doing now to set my future self up for success. So for, like, for example, meditation and mindfulness is very popular right now. And people always ask me, Christine, like, what's your, like, you're so present. Like, what is like your meditation practice or what is your mindfulness practice? And this is a very smart ass response, but I'm like, I actually don't really have one. I feel like my previous lives have baked it into my being. So I live in a meditative, mindful state. And, you know, some people will receive that and some people will roll their eyes and some people will whatever, but that's how I feel. And so what is it that I can do now in this life, knowing the complexities and the uncertainty and the rate and speed at which things are moving to set my future self up with whether, whether, whether it be resilience or a different way of thinking or a different way of processing or whatever. And so it's like this combination of like in my current self, I think about things in the short term, but then in my like multiple live self, I think about that in a different lens. Mm. I like that. Um, well, you model it very well. Mm. Thank you, Sita. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the last thing I was curious about was what are you curious about? Mm. What's, what's sort of top of mind for you at the moment? Mm. I think one of the things over the past few months in particular, you know, when you start thinking about all the different challenges that we're all trying to address, not all, that many of us are trying to address, you literally very quickly kind of like rabbit hole into multiple rabbit holes. You know, whether it's like, you know, so much of what we talk about is like economic development or you talk about mental health and then you talk about the systems and then, you, you know, blah, 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 it just snowballs. And so I was like, okay, your brain can literally go wild. <laughs> and at the end of the day, when you really think about it, what does it come down to? And it comes down to yourself in, in many regards around like, what is your relationship with your inner roommate? What is your resilience to the things that are coming at you every day? What are the ways in which you process all of these things? And how supported and connected do you feel like you are to the people around you? And I think if we can, as much as we possibly can, and not in a selfish way, take care of yourself. And it's not the whole, I I talk about this, like it's not the whole put your air mask on first because that comes from a place of like scarcity and emergency. But it really is how do you take inventory and know what fills up your cup? because it's the things that fill up our cup that potentially can inform us of what our role is mm-hmm. in community. And then we can give from our overflow because those things are very generative, both to fill up our cup, but also hopefully add value to the collective. And in thinking about that, it's like, it's so easy. This is why I'm not really online. It's so easy to get you know, wrapped up in what the media and the press are saying. It's so easy to see what social media is saying. It's so easy to get lost in the noise. And so what what might it look like for us to be at peace with ourselves, to have the clarity of what is true to us, to be able to show up in the world in that way, to model it for other people, to know that that's possible, <laughs> to then know that our piece of the puzzle is actually now seen. Because I think we're so conditioned to, quote-unquote, get a job or, quote-unquote, make someone else happy. But if we can actually do what it is 
that we feel like is to be true, the whole, again, do you and do what your future self will thank you for, the people that will hopefully help you make that possible will magnetize to you, and then you can make those things possible. And so my thing is, I guess the question, the curiosity I have is, what is the stack that we need as humans to be able to get in a place where we can have a better relationship with ourselves and each other and the technology around us? Because I think right now we're very distracted and it's not allowing us to see clearly or think clearly or communicate clearly. But if we just took time to like check in with ourselves, I feel like those things will hopefully become clearer in whatever it is for you. And I guess my question is, you know, we're talking about parallel processes. What is that process of still being opted into society and being opted into the universe and this bigger picture? Um, but yeah, it's like, what do, what do people need to feel whole? It's a good and powerful question. I feel like you give from your overflow every day. So I'm really grateful to be in your life and have you in my head a lot. <laughs> I feel like you model... <laughs> You model a really beautiful way of living, so it's, thank you. Yeah, it's such, it's such a joy, truly, and it's a joy because of the people that are in it, which mm-hmm. you and, you know, so many of our other friends and communities, and so, yeah, it's like whatever fills up my cup is hopefully filling our cup. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Christine. Thanks, Sarah.